Hello and welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I'm Devery Alice. Today we have on Chanel. And Chanel has a huge, massive, important story to tell. Not unlike all of our stories, right? But this one is a little bit unique in that we are dealing with racism within the Mormon Church, um, also known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And this is a topic that has not been covered as much as it needs to be. And Chanel is raw and honest and vulnerable. And of course, we had massive technical issues. Um, to say this file was corrupted is an understatement. This file, I don't, I still, guys, I don't know what happened. This file was in pieces, like literal puzzle pieces that my amazing sound editor, Mary Helen, has been chipping away at and putting back together. And I actually, I just need you guys to understand what this was um, so that going in, there a couple of things can be made clear. Um, I actually reached back out to Chanel and I said, this is a disaster. Like, can we just re re-record this? Because I want it to be accurate. I, I don't want any holes. I, I want to make sure that this is correct. And she was like, please, please, like, is there any way to get this file put back together? Because um, Chanel's actually done quite a few interviews. Uh, she was all, she was, I don't know where all, I know she's done several, but I know for sure she was on um, the Mormon Stories podcast with John DeLynn. And she basically expressed to me that she felt that um, this was her most honest interview and that it really expressed her emotions uh, that she was feeling as opposed to just the the fact-based step-by-step experiences. And she really wanted that out there. And she was concerned that if we re-recorded it, that she was not going to be able to bring up all of these emotions again, because honestly, it was it was painful. It was hard. And so all of this is to say, Mary and Helen, Mary Helen and I have done what we can. Um, I should not take credit for that. Mary Helen has done what she could and she worked miracles. I basically, there is about the first 10 minutes, um, Chanel Sell shares some heart wrenching um, stories and I swear there was a response from me that was kind and loving and concerned, I'm sure. Um, it is gone. It is just literally gone. It was not ever recorded. So uh, there are going to be a couple of cuts in this file that may seem a little interesting. Just know that's what's happening. Again, any other weird cuts, weird jumps, it's it's not Chanel. <laughs> it's, it's the files. So it shouldn't be too bad. There was only, I mean, I think thanks to Mary Helen's genius work, there's probably only three or four spots, but um, I just wanted to let everybody know because I, I don't want anything to take a while away um, from Chanel's message. So sit back, enjoy. Thank you for being here. Oh. 
Hi, Chanel. Hello. How are you? Uh, well, as you and everyone else can hear, I had COVID a couple weeks ago, so I sound fantastic. Um, <laughs> so I apologize for the squeakiness that will happen because I'm going to get those lovely, pu- uh, what is it, the prepubescent squeaks where like I laugh <laughs> and it just cracks. It's going to be great. Um, but other than that, I'm mostly recovered. So no, I'm doing really, really well. We okay. actually had to uh, push this off for a week because yeah, I was I was not okay. So I'm so glad that we are here together now. Um, I've been thinking about this interview a lot since our our pre-interview, and I read some material that you gave me um, in order to prepare because I really wanted to understand uh, the background of this. So I found you on TikTok and reached out to you. What is what's the name of your channel for everyone who is listening so that they can find you? It is Bet Noir Four, so it's B E T T E N O I R Four. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Because you do a lot of ex-Mormon content, but particularly um, ex-Mormon content as a black woman. Yeah. Which, how how many accounts are there like yours? Like, is it, you know? There is, so there's a few friends I have now that I've met um, that have accounts like this. And the ones that I know personally are about 23 people. Wow. And that's it, because the ex-Mormon community over there is very, very large, um, but very few ex-Mormons of color. Correct. Yeah, which is an important voice. I'm going to be honest. So for everyone listening, we're going to talk about some, some it's going to be a hard conversation, and I hope that everyone sticks around and really listens uh, because that's such an important conversation. And I just wanted to say you had posted, I can't even remember um, what exactly it was, but I, I am on TikTok reading the comments. I, yeah. to keep my finger on, <laughs> yeah, the pulse of like how people are reacting to people and, and what these common responses are. And your videos are so difficult for me to read the comments through because I get so upset at everyone's responses. And the dismissiveness and the inability to listen and the inability to to say, well, hey, maybe there's something to what she's saying. Um, perhaps I don't understand in the way that I thought that I understood. And I just don't see hardly any of that in response to the things that you're talking about. And so I am so excited to be able to just like spend the next couple of hours with you and give you this platform to just say, please like talk to everyone and talk to me, like teach me, like let's actually really get into this because it's so, so, so important. Agreed. Okay. So let's just, we're just going to get started. So you were actually a convert to the church. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, talk to me about talk to me about that. Talk to set us up for like why you joined the church, what attracted you to the church, um, so that we can get that that good basis in. Okay, so I'm going to be totally honest and transparent. Good, because so, I asked her to guys. Like, I was like, please, and she's <laughs> like, I don't know if you're ready for this. I was like, no, please, please do it. So here we go. So I'm an 18 year old graduate I just graduated high school um was out one night with my friends we had watched a late night movie 
probably like one o'clock in the morning. We're in a big, huge um, station wagon. And we're driving down 410 in San Antonio. And I didn't have my seatbelt on. That was 1990. I wasn't going to wear my seatbelt. I'm in the front. I'm 4'11". I'm small. And so I we were laughing. We're driving down the road. And I seriously felt distinctly that I heard a voice say, put on your seatbelt. Put it on now. And I'm like, you guys, you hear that? Like, I'm feeling crazy. Long story short, I, I heard or felt an impression that said, put your seatbelt on now. And I put it on and we got hit. So wow. we got smashed. We got smashed in this uh, station wagon, and I jumped out. And I was in shock. I was standing in ants. I was disoriented. Um, anyway, got taken to ER and was told, you know, if you didn't, if you had not had that seatbelt on, you would have went through that windshield. You would have died. Yeah. And so I thought about that and thought about that. And so San Antonio is a uh, you're in the Bible Belt. Everybody is religious. Every religion you can think of. 20,000 religions, you know, it felt like. Yeah. So a lot of my a lot of my friends were religious. So I started asking questions. I said, hey, I think I heard a voice. Did I hear a voice? Was it God? What was it? I'm, I was Joseph Smith. Which church is true? I started going to church with all my mm-hmm. friends. And I just was not, I didn't know what to do. Started uh, studying with Jehovah's Witness. So my mother is a seamstress. And so one day I was home and I looked down the hall and I saw two men in suits. To me, I just assumed she was tailoring their suits. And then uh, a commercial came on. Back then, there was a commercial that talked about the Book of Mormon. It talked about Jesus Christ, the nails in his hands and his feet, and that there's two witnesses, you know, the Book of Mormon and the Bible. They joined together and it was this blue book. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So then my mother's like, hey, I have that book. And I said, you got that Book of Mormon thing? And she's like, yeah. She's like, it's from the Mormon boys. And I was like, don't. The, the ones that are in the suit, she's like, yeah, you should talk to them. They're nice. And I said, okay, tell them to come talk to me. So one day there's a knock on the door and I barely open the door and I see these two young men and I'm like, yeah, how can I help you? And they're like, hey, your mom said that you wanted to talk to us. You had some questions about the book. And I'm like, mm, yeah. And they're like, well, what questions do you have? And I was like, well, I'm not interested because I was just, you know, 18, uncomfortable. And I remember he had said, listen. He bore his testimony and was telling me these things. And he says, you don't have to believe us. We could be lying to you, whatever. The person that's going to tell you the truth is God. So if you really want to know, don't believe us, ask God. And that impressed me because everybody else was just telling you, just listen to them. Don't question. And the right. fact that he said, I could actually ask God and God would tell me was impressive to me. So I invited him in, had the discussion. And I thought, this is interesting. I've never heard this before. It was fascinating because it was way different, way different than anything I've ever heard. And what fascinated with me is that I was looking for answers. And when they said, you understand, we do have apostles and prophets now. And I was like, we do. They're like, yeah, they wow. talk to God. They literally talk to God. I mean, and I thought like God and Jesus Christ, like, like mouth to mouth. I mean, like with their mouth. And they're like, yeah, they talked to him. And I was impressed. I was like, there are people that get to talk to God. And so if we have questions as a congregation, they can ask God and then God will tell us. So I believe them. So I had more discussions and I got baptized. Well, I didn't get baptized because I was converted. I got baptized because I liked the two missionaries and they were nice and they were cute. And I was 18. 
Well, then they took me to the members and the member missionaries. They love bombed me. I got love bombed. You know, 18 year old lost all her friends now because, you know, you're 18 and some are going to college, some are getting married and you're kind of like, what is going on here? So now I have these new people that are saying that I'm great and that they love me. Come to the fold. We're going to help you. You're going to meet God. And I was like, oh, man, this is cool. Then they love bomb me. You know, they bought me dinner. They took I spend the night at their house watching their kids like everybody love bomb me. And I thought, man, I haven't been loved before. They love me. You know, I don't. They said that I'm good. Because I got baptized, I'm a clean person. That I'm not a sinner, I'm not a bad person, and they can help me um, be better. And I thought, okay, anything that I've ever done in my life, the dumb things I've done as a kid, as a teenager, to my friends, to my family, is now washed away because I got baptized. So I trusted these couples. It was mostly couples. I watched their kids. I helped clean their house. I, I was their nanny and their maid. I didn't care. They treated me well. They bought me things. Um, One family let me use their car. I didn't have a car. Um, I spent a night at their house and they let me use their car. And it was great. So I didn't care if it was true or not. I cared that people were treating me with love that I didn't feel that I had. I just liked the missionaries and I liked all of the the love I thought I was getting all the attention. You're great. Look what you did. This wonderful thing. You got baptized. God is pleased with you. Everybody's pleased with you. Finally in your life, everybody that's around you said they're pleased with you and that you're great. I sucked it in. Of course you did. Why would you not? Right? Because love bombing is something that happens to a lot of converts. Dare I say all of the converts. And it's of course really appealing because who doesn't like to be loved? Mm -hmm. So at this time, this is really early on in your conversion, and you were not yet seeing the racism within the church. You're like, no, not even close. <laughs> Can you talk to us about how and when things really started to change for you? Well, so so talking to different people, different members, and then even the bishop. So let's start with the boyfriend. He was a good boyfriend. He was not a naughty guy. He wasn't rude. He wasn't pushing me to do things I didn't want to do. He was just lovely. He was a neighbor. And I remember the bishop said, you need to break up. He's not a member. And member non-member boys usually want you to do things that will affect your eternal salvation. And I was like, I was like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, you know, they, they touch you and they do things touching and he, they called it necking and petting. I remember the bishop said, and if you do any of that stuff, that's evil. It will ruin you. You know, you're talking about possibly going on a mission and, and telling people of the world what you went through when you got baptized to share your testimony and being around a, a boy like that is not going to help you. So it, it would be best that you broke up with them or convert him. And I was like, Oh, like he has to join the church. And they said, yes, he has to join the church and that way you can get married. And I was like, well, we're not even thinking about getting married. We're, you know, he's two years older than me and we're just getting to know each other very well. And he was like, no, because it'll lead to the necking and petting thing, which is bad. And I was like, oh, okay. And I said, but I like him a lot. He's really, really nice. And Bishop's like, but you got to choose God. And I said, okay. And I broke up with him. And then with my family, 
he's like, how's that going? I said, well, they're not really receptive. They're saying it's a cult and they're, and they're like, okay, you can love your family. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're going to have to, you know, set some boundaries. You have to like distance yourself because it'll affect your, your thinking and make you apostate. And you don't want that. You just got baptized. You want to keep clean. And then other things that were separating me from my friends, not directly by what they said, but for example, a friend and James Avery and San Antonio was a huge thing. It is a jewelry maker of sterling silver, which I loved. My best friend at the time, her and her boyfriend brought me a ring. They're like, wow, she you're doing good. You got baptized. I don't really agree with it because it's a cult, but you did it. And so she gave me a ring. And I remember I freaked out and that really strained our friendship. I freaked out because it had a cross on it. And they were, they were like, no, crosses are bad. Crosses are evil. Crosses are like, if you were, if my daughter were to be shot, this friend, this friend I'm still friends with now, 40 years later, um, she was so offended. She's like, what do you mean? She know, I said, a cross? That's like a gun. That's like, you want me to remember that Jesus Christ was on the cross and that he died because this is what I was being taught. And she yeah. was like, oh my God. She goes, what's wrong with crosses? We love crosses. And I said, I cannot touch this ring. It will burn my finger because I was being what? taught it was that like it was, it was crazy because we had been talking about crosses throughout the single adults and different people. And it was a no, no. And she was like, oh my gosh, you know? And so I didn't take the ring and then I did take it, but then I didn't wear it. Okay. So, so then her boy- for anyone who's listening who is not Mormon, um, you will never find a cross in a Mormon church. And the belief system is, is yeah, the focus should be on the resurrection and not on the death. Just so that, yes, Correct. no one's confused as to what on earth we're talking about. Okay, go ahead. So then um, what the background that people need to understand about this friendship and why it's so precious, it was her her boyfriend, Oscar, and myself. It was us three. Inseparable. Meaning, I mean it. It wasn't her and him were one and me. It, it was just us three all the time. So he's watching this and he's like, what's going on, Chanel? And so that caused a little bit of uncomfortableness and discord for a minute. So then I want to talk about them again for a minute because two things happened with them that isolated me from them. While I was on my mission, he died. Wow. I think he was 20. Um, he had been run over. He was asleep on a pier and somebody was, was drunk and ran him over. Oh my God. And his father was with them, woke up and he was deceased. And I remember she called me on my mission and she's like, you have to come home. You know, he's dead. And I was like, what? I mean, I was losing it. That, that, they, people don't understand it was us three that was part of my soul right he was they were my everything it wasn't the really the church or my family it was those three and so I was like I gotta go home I gotta be there for her and he's dead and the mission was like no way we don't do that you don't even yeah. go home for your parent your parents funeral and I was like but I'm only 13 hours away I'll be right back I need to go and they were like no we don't do that. No, you cannot yeah. go. If you go, your mission will end. So I had to choose between supporting her and being there for his family and my, my mission. Wow. And I chose my mission. And of course she didn't understand. And again, I let her down again. 
I chose a church instead of a soul, instead of a person who I love very, very much. And then with her again, I'm in Utah. I'm getting married. She's my maid of honor. She comes with a new person who she's dating. And she's supporting me in every way possible. And the church members are hurting her feelings because they're like, oh, who are you? And she says who she is. And she's like, yeah, I just came from San Antonio to be with Chanel and with my boyfriend. And they're like, ew, so you guys are staying in a hotel together? You're not even married. And so they were judging her and giving her a hard time. They just like they I, just met this person. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. Exactly. I grew up Mormon, but like they just oh my see, this is it's so interesting because you convert, so you're being love bombed and you know, just like, oh, you're amazing, you're amazing. And this person that is not showing interest in conversion, now the reality of the situation comes out and because they feel very free to say what they think, regardless of whether it may hurt somebody's Oh, of course. Feelings. Oh, it oh was it was so hard because she's my best friend. She didn't convert, but she's my best friend. And I'm I don't know. I'm I'm trying to process all of this. I'm trying to process pleasing God, which actually at the time it's actually pleasing the church and the church members, not God. And then her and these people are saying things to her and I'm not saying anything to defend her. I'm just like, I, I you're taught don't question the church. Don't speak up to the church. Don't don't say, don't cause discord and contention between church members, but they're hurting my friend. And I said nothing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we talked, I even talked to her about that incident about two months ago because she knows I left the church now. And she's like, oh my gosh, thank God, you know, thank goodness. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Cause yeah. our friendship was strained because I wasn't very nice because I was told you need to set, you need to be peculiar, a peculiar person and set yourself apart from the world. These people are worldly. You are not. You are different. You're special. We are the chosen chosen one. Every other church is abomination. We are the ones. Right. And you have to be an example. You have to be an example to these people. So you set yourself apart. So then it comes to my family. And, you know, they're not members. Oh, my gosh. They smoke. Oh, my gosh. They drink. Oh, my gosh. They swear. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You got to convert them. You got to convert them. You got to convert them. And I was very cruel to my family. So cruel that when I left for my mission, none of them really said goodbye to me. They were wow. like, mm, okay, go on a trip. Nobody was, I get, I got no great send off. My dad dropped me off at the airport and that was the end of that. But while I was on the plane, one of those members I told you about that I love, that love bombed me, that I watched her kids and helped clean her home, came onto the plane. I mean, I was devastated. My family was just like, mm, good luck. And she came on the plane with her baby and said goodbye to me. Love. So, of course, I'm going to cling to her. Right. I'm, I'm clinging to members because I'm losing the people I grew up with. I'm losing my family. I'm losing my friends. And so that, was, that meant a lot to me. And so I don't know anything about the mission. I am now at the MTC. I'm in the Provo Airport. I didn't even think about it. My friends show up. They're like, okay, we're going to take you to the MTC. I don't know what's going on. Nobody prepared me for anything. Uh, my friends picked me up, took me to the MTC, and said goodbye to me. It wasn't my family. It wasn't my friends. It was members. And I was like, oh, thank you. I didn't know what was going on. And I go to the MTC. And <laughs> that was that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I want to I want to look at what's actually happening here so that people understand, because I think that people in general, um, but particularly people who feel a need to defend their own belief systems um, can listen to what you're saying and very easily be like, well, I mean, she made the choice to cut off her family like and those people were actually being nice. So what what is the actual problem here? But the problem is like you kind of started to mention it with being what you were actually being taught about being the chosen ones, right? And that everyone else is an abomination and the the peculiar people that creates this, um, I think it simultaneously creates a pride of like, oh, I am better than, right? And none of us like well, to say that, but that's what's happening. It's true. Oh yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm better than like, and that we all are human and humans really like to feel better than other people. And then they mix that with fear of you going to hell, of you losing your eternal salvation of, and like that combination is horrible because it, it locks people into patterns of behavior regardless of whether or not they actually think that they believe in them. And you can see from the way that you were reacting like that, the there was legitimate fear of a ring because it had a cross on it. Like you were scared to touch it because that is how heavily you had been indoctrinated into these belief oh, systems yeah. that you were willing to cut off friends. You're willing to cut off family um, in order to maintain that status and in order to maintain eternal salvation? Well, two things I don't think people realize. Absolutely, it was a choice, but it wasn't an informed consent. So let's right. talk about what that means. Yes, please. For, for example, so I made a choice to join, right? Well, two things. Number one, they put it on me. You, because remember, when you join the church, part of your baptism is you agree to spread the gospel. How can you spread the gospel if you're a bad girl? You can't. So you have to be the example. Being an example means you step away from them because they're bad. You are good. You are better. You need to be away from them so you can help them and bring them to us. And this is the most profound thing. I don't think anybody has it's ever clicked, and it clicked for me the other day. The difference between anyone joining any other religion and joining Mormonism is the claim. They claim to directly be speaking to God and Jesus Christ. So nobody else is doing that. Everybody else is going by their own interpretations. But these men are speaking to him. Do you understand that? They are I speaking do. to God and Jesus Christ. So you can't listen to anybody else. If they tell you to eat cheese is wrong, you better dang well listen to them or you're going to go to hell. Right. If they tell you to wear, wear your hair blue, or you're going to burn in hell because the prophet said so because he just talked to Jesus and Heavenly Father and the Holy of Holies, you better damn well listen. Yeah. Yes. So that was the fear in my head. Yep. They're talking to God. You don't question anything they say. And they and they even told me that. If we tell you to jump, you say how high because God is said so. And you're like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. What else do I need to do? Yeah. That's yeah. Very scary. Exactly. And that is exactly why I worded the name of the podcast the way that I did, because it's not God silencing women. It's his name being used. It's the authority that's being claimed. And it is so effective because it's the hard stop at the end of the sentence, right? It's why, why, why? Because God said so. What do I say to that? 
What do I say to that? Because my options, like from where you were standing, your options were to either say, well, I know more than God, which seems ludicrous as a small human being, right? Or I'm going to purposefully disobey God. That doesn't feel good either. So I guess I'm going to go along with it because God, you're exactly right. Like the power that that holds over people is immense. Well, it's scary because you go like this, you say, wait, oh, are they really talking to God? Like, are are we sure? Like, what about my own feelings? Like, don't I have personal revelation, personal, excuse me? You, you believe that they're not talking to God? That's apostate. <gasps> I'm apostate. No, 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 no. I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. Don't be mad at me. Yeah. You know, God, yeah. don't be mad. Uh, it's like, you don't, you're questioning the prophets and apostles of God that speak to him. Shame yeah. on you. Yep. You apostate. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I won't question again. I won't question again. Even though James 1, 5 says question. Right. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> so I want to, I want to talk about, and I don't know if this happened before or after your mis- mission. Um, but I think it explains a lot about the headspace that you were in. And I think that it's important. So when were you, you told me a story about being at members houses and you hearing the story of of black people being cursed because of their choices in the pre-existence. So for those not Mormon, um, Mormons, Mormon doctrine believes in a pre-existence, a time before this life where we were all in spirit form. Um, there was a third of the host of heaven that supported Satan. So they don't get bodies. The story that I was raised on was that everyone else got bodies. Um, and then Chanel was telling me about apparently in Mormon history, uh, Mormon doctrine for a time uh, being taught and printed until 2010. Oh my yep. God. Um, yep. Is a actual different story that talks about a additional part of the hosts of heaven who were fence sitters, but seriously, even the term pisses me off. Um, and that they are cursed with black skin because of the fence sitting. Um, and that their life will be hard because of the fence sitting and a whole bunch of other just absolutely atrocious things. Um, but when was the first time that you heard this story and how did you react to hearing that story? Well, I have a lot of feelings about it right now because I'm thinking, first of all, they started with black jokes. I hope they hear this. They started with black jokes. And the thing about it is I don't think they were trying to hurt me, which is a scary part. Why would they think it's okay? So I go to their house. It is some members. It is a prominent family in that ward. This I go to their house. Before or after your mission? Sorry, I just oh, want to make this sure. this is we... before my mission. Before this your mission. The, this is probably two months after I was a member. Okay, so you were baptized. You've never <laughs> heard anything about any of this. You didn't know there was any never. racism within the church. Okay, so Not two months all. after you get baptized. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I just want to make sure the timeline was Oh, no, understood. you're fine. We're eating. We're I remember we're in this big, huge living area. There's probably about 20 plus people, you know, walking around. There are other missionaries there too. I have pictures. There's other missionaries there. Um, oh my gosh, I have pictures. Weird. But um, there's people around and I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you for inviting me. We're eating, we're talking, we're laughing. And the black jokes start. The host started telling black jokes. I don't know why, but wow. they... They just started telling black jokes and I laughed. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. Everybody's staring at me. 
and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm 18. And so then um, she's like, the wife of the man says, hey, Sister Johnson, I got to tell you something. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, did you know that in the pre-existence, you guys didn't choose God? And I was like, well, what does that mean? She goes, you're cursed because of that. Like the things you did in the pre-existence, did you know that black people are fence sitters? And I was like, wait, what? And she, she wasn't, I know she wasn't saying it to be mean. I think she was trying to inform me or maybe deal with her uncomfortableness. I don't know. And she, and I'm like, wait, what? She's like, remember in the, in the, in the preexistence, there was God, there was Jesus Christ. There was all of us, even you, and there was Satan. So remember a third of the host went with Satan. They didn't get bodies. And then there were the valiant that got bodies to come down and prove themselves. And then there was the black people. They didn't choose anybody. They kind of wanted to come down after and kind of see who won the war first to decide. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah. And that's why you guys have a skin of blackness for what you did in the preexistence. You didn't make a decision. And I was like, I didn't. And she's like, yeah, I said, I don't remember any of that. She goes, you're not supposed to do a veil cut over you. And I was like, oh my gosh, why wouldn't I have chosen? And she's like, I don't know. You guys weren't valiant. You're fence sitters. I guess you guys were scared. And I was like, okay, well, what do I do? Like you said, I can redeem myself. Like I, she goes, you just do the right thing. What you're doing now. The first thing is you're adopted in because you're baptized. You do what you're supposed to do. You spread the gospel. You be a good member. You prove yourselves now. And then in the afterlife, you will be rewarded for what you did and no more, no longer punished for what you did. And I said, but I thought like I was starting to think about the Adam, like, you know, we, we don't ever get blamed for what Adam did. Right. And it was like, no, you guys made a decision and that was hurtful because you didn't even choose. And I was like, okay, okay. So all I have to do right now, God said, if I'm just a good member and I do everything right, I will be forgiven for what I did in the preexistence. But what about my skin? Like, what do that means for the world? Like, I, am I going to get in trouble? And she's like, no, no, you're going to have a lot of trials though. And that's the trials you chose. And I was like, I chose to be black because I knew this trial would help me. And she's like, yeah. And everybody's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So I just need to behave and I'm going to have a little bit of trials, but I'm so strong and I can endure. Right. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, got it. I'm, I'm ready. I can do this. I'm going to go on a mission. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to be the best missionary ever, and I'm going to do all my callings. And, I, and they're like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yes, done, done. I'm going to be good. The fact that your skin color was listed as a trial makes me physically ill inside. I chose it. According to them, I chose the trial. The, but the fact that it was in the trial bucket at all, <laughs> you know what I'm It's not, oh God, Chanel, I'm so sorry. I, <clears throat> I am sorry on behalf of my entire, like, former religion, my for my family, like, how do I, I was talking with another gal who, uh, Amber, I don't know what day her thing will go, but, um, 
on our pre-interview, she was talking about some really, really horrible things within the church history. Um, she was talking, you know, some about the racism, some pedophilia, like all of this, all of this stuff. And some of the stories she was telling me was horrible, just disgusting. And I said, I kind of was reacting in a horrified way as would be appropriate. But she said to me, she said, Devery, this is our history. We have to claim it. And there was a part of me that resisted that for a minute because I was like, I don't want to. Thank you very (laughs) much. Like, this is horrible. Um, But she's right. It is our history and we do have to claim it. And I think that goes across the board for everyone. Like there, there have to be things talked about. There has to be acknowledgments made of what is, what has happened. And I am sorry that at 18 years old, you were told that the color of your skin was a trial that you chose because you were not valiant in the previous life. Because I can only imagine that that would have created a level of self-hatred. Big time. Is, yeah. And I, and I didn't like black people. I'm like, we are terrible. How dare we not choose? What is wrong oh with us? Oh my God. I was so mad. I, every black person I looked at, I'm like, why did we do this? And I couldn't ask them because they wouldn't understand. And so I would pray about it. God, forgive me. Forgive me. I didn't even, I don't even remember. You know, and the, and the thing, Devery, the thing about claiming it, the, the thing that is so hard is for people to watch me sit there as things are being taught, things are being said about black people and not stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. This, I don't like this. They just looked at me and I'm sitting there just, I'll do better, I'll do better and saying these things about, and then when they start talking about, you know, we don't approve of interracial marriage or interracial dating, you've got to be with your own if you mix, because Brigham Young says, if you mix with the seed of Cain, you will be killed on the spot. Just all these things. And I'm sitting there going, but how am I supposed to get to the celestial kingdom if I can't get married? I don't know any black people. You said I have to marry my own kind. I don't know my own kind. There's no black people here. Then you need to go find a man. You need to convert him. And you need, And I said, where? They're like, we don't know. And I'm like, then what am I supposed to do? You're telling me I have to get to the celestial kingdom by by getting married in the temple. You're telling your sons, your uncles, your brothers, or whoever that not to marry me. What am I supposed to do? You just told me I need to be valiant. I need to make up for what I did. You're cutting off my legs. I don't I don't know what more I can do. Yeah. And they said, well, sister, probably what will happen for you, you'll be provided a man in the afterlife. So just be a good, faithful servant now. And then in the afterlife, God will provide a husband for you. And I said, so I'll get in the Celestial Kingdom after? And they're like, probably, most likely. And I said, okay. Okay, I'll do that. <sighs> okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to um, walk back through what you just said for anyone who's not familiar enough with Mormon doctrine to have tracked that fast enough. Um, so basically at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, you have been taught that the only, sorry, I'm probably going to cry. The only way for you to be with God again, the only way for you to live forever and ever and ever is to get married in the temple because that's what we're all taught. And that's why so, so many Mormon women that I've had on 
um, have talked about, yes, that there was nothing more important than being a mom and a wife, because that's what God said to do. And that's also how you get back to God. There's no other option listed besides a temple marriage to be able to achieve the highest level of the kingdom of heaven so you can live with God again. And then at the same time, as you are looking around at the eligible boys and men to date in the area, you're being told, no, 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 not those ones. Because you are not good enough for those ones because your skin is black. And in addition to that, if we were to allow that, you would bring your curse upon their family. And so now it will affect their family's ability to climb the level of heavens or whatever we want to say that maybe is less flippant, but I'm not going to do that right now because I'm aggravated. Um, so we're, you're being told no, like absolutely no one around you because you're surrounded by white people because the church has a very low ratio of people of color to white people, especially within the United States. Um, and when you ask about that, the response is, well, either convert a man or be alone. And maybe, just maybe, God will figure it out after. Like, we can't say for sure, so we're going to say probably. But, like, that's just what it is. That's just your lot in life as a Black person. Every... <clears throat> Let me paint a picture for you. Oh, my gosh. So imagine... You're 18, now you're turning 19. Because I joined the church in November and I turned 19 in February. So now they're saying, probably try the single adult or I'm so excited to see other people my age. Because remember, I go right into early society. I go to these single wards and I'm crushing on a few boys. One of them, he was Hispanic. Um, let me know very quickly. Mm -mm. Nope, we're not even going to try to mix. I'll be your friend and that's all you get. Then there was another guy I just had a crush on, and he was like, mm, no, we can't do this, but I'll be your friend. And I said, okay. So then there's actually a guy who's like, you know what? I kind of think I like you. So we're talking, and it's great. He's a lot older than me. He's already established. He has a house. He has a car. He's wonderful. And I'm crushing on him hard. And I remember he says to me, <clears throat> he's so cute, adorable. He's like, Chanel. And he's kind of smile laughing. He's like, oh, this has to stop. And I'm like, what? This is in San Antonio still. This is after, no, before my mission. And he's like, it's got to stop. And I go, what's got to stop? He said, this, you and me. And I said, what? He goes, dude, you are so awesome. You are adorable. You're like the best thing. He, and, and I remember he was a lot older than me. He grabs my hands and he says, I cannot take you to Idaho. There is no way. He says, my family wouldn't go for it. And remember, he's a lot older than me. So his family probably is not having it anyway. And um, I'm like, what? He grabs my hands and he smiles so cute. And he's like, I need to find a white Chanel. Everything that you are, everything that you are, I just need a white version. I just need to find a white Chanel. And he, he didn't say it meanly, but nonetheless, it was hurtful. And I remember just looking at him. I mean, he was beautiful and gorgeous. He even taught me about, he even taught me about diamonds. He took me to a vault and I learned about diamonds. I learned about the four seeds diamonds. He was very, 
uh, classy and charismatic and smart and elegant. And I was learning a lot from him, but he needed a white Chanel. And I was like, okay. And that was the first devastating moment. And then there was a couple of other crushes that they were just like, no. But then after my mission, it got really bad because all of the guys would tell me the same thing. By then, I'm, I'm in Missouri. And a lot of people are telling me, that's not going to happen. I see you crushing on my boy. No, no, no. We love you, but no. And then there was this one guy. I could hang out with him. I can give him massages. I can make him food. But, honey, not you. I'm going to find a beautiful, white, blonde-haired woman. You can take care of me, and you can act like a girlfriend, but I'm not your boyfriend, okay? This this interracial thing is not going to happen. But the funny thing is, <clears throat> he contacts me years later and says he changed his mind. I was like, dude, go away. <laughs> not even. Seriously. Not, not even. But this is happening, and I'm thinking, as I progress and move from a different state and then come to Utah and in the singles ward, there are several guys that, one, I I know with every fiber of my being, there was something <laughs> beautiful between me and him. Oh, my gosh. We could see it. Everybody can see it. We went on trips together. I mean, it was so strong. But he, too, was like, I mean, he would come visit me. He would take me places. But he was like, I just got to find that white girl. And I was like, okay. Then another one I had a crush on. And I'm looking at these men now, and I'm like, no loss. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> but they made me feel so bad. Now, this is the one that I'll tell you broke me. So by then, I'm divorced from my first husband. And I met this guy from a friend. It was her cousin. <clears throat> and we became friends through her. And we were just friends. Um, he came over all the time. He helped me, you know, play with my kids. I had two kids from that marriage. He was amazing. We didn't fight. We disagreed, but we never were mean and nasty. It was perfect. We went to institute together. We went to the temple together. We went to church together. He even went with me to a Genesis group meeting, uh, which is a, I guess it's more, it's more black members of the church um, having it the way they would do it in a black church. Like there was clapping after singing. It was more, it was more lively, but to me, it was a separation. You black people go to your own church over here within our church. Well, yeah, it's like segregation. Like like exactly what happened in the Christian churches. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like it. They think it was a flex. They thought it was great. See, y'all can go over there and do your black thing. And it's like, no, why can't we all just be a part of each other? Anyway, he went with me to that and he, he seemed to get it. There was a couple of you know instances where I can tell he was struggling with race and it would come out. And I remember I wrote it down in my journal and I still have that. He kind of was like mad at himself. I think even, even if my memory serves, he was like so angry that he had a crush on me. He was so mad at himself. He's like, you're not attractive. Like this, this is not he was having a hard time with the skin and he told me that he's like, my family told me if I married a black girl or dated a black girl, they would beat me up. He was very, very young. He had older siblings that were the age of my parents. So he said, there's no way they'll go for this. You know, we cannot. So we were, we were 
doing whatever. He would never let me call his boyfriend, but we went to institute together. We ate together. We went on dates. We did things. We went to movies, but he would always get grossed out to hold my hand. He was just like, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. And so he was torturing me because I loved him because we were good. But when it came to my skin, he, he was like, like so repulsed. And I would sit there and watch him just like, like, I don't want to touch your hand. Like, why? And he was so mad at himself for having any kind of affection or crush towards me. And I remember he's like, this is wrong. This is wrong. I just, I'm just not attracted to you. Okay. No, no, no. I'm like, are you trying to talk yourself into this? And so this went on for about two years. And I remember he came over one day. Two years? Are you kidding me? Oh nope, my God. Okay. I just wanted to win. I just wanted to win his affection and his loyalty and his everything because besides him being disgusted by my skin, I thought everything was great. Now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, girl, you're so dumb. But this is what happened. I remember he came over one day and he was really upset. And I said, what's going on? He's like, Chanel, this is not going to work. I prayed about this. I know you prayed about this. And God said, no, there's no way. And let me tell you why. And I said, okay. He opens up his scriptures. I will never forget. He opens up his scriptures. He reads to me 2 Nephi 21, 5 or 521, 521, which said about the curse of the black skin and not mixing. And I remember I was like, what? I'm like, I'll call him John. I'm like, John, really? I've been black the whole time. Not any time that I spring this on you. He's like, do you understand how wrong this is? The scriptures here says interracial marriage is wrong. So now we're fighting because I'm like, I'm offended. I'm like, what? So God is telling you that you can't mix with me? He's like, yes. Can you not read? And I'm like, well, and I'm like sobbing. I'm losing it. I am devastated because we cannot get married. We cannot date. This is wrong. We cannot do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Goodbye. He leaves. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I'm, I'm losing it. I am hyperventilating. I'm like, but it's been two years. So I call my home teacher. I'm crying. He comes over, gives me a blessing. I go to my bishop. I tell my bishop this story and the bishop, the thing, Devery, I'm telling you, this bishop was a jerk. I have never called a bishop a jerk before, but he was a jerk. He was uncomfortable sitting in the seat. And I was telling him the story. He goes, sister, Utah is not ready for that. Interracial dating and marriage is wrong. And he is right. He is a priesthood holder and he is correct. And he's mad. He's angry. His body language, he's sitting in his chair weird. His, he's he's piercing his lips together. He's mad. He's like, like, oh, like so angry. And I am devastated. I'm like, but we love each other. And he's a human and I'm a human. I don't understand why it's so bad. Like him mixing with me doesn't hurt anybody. And the bishop's like, no, no, that is so wrong. And I'm like, okay, I go home and I'm devastated. I've got this bishop telling me I'm bad. I got this man that I am madly in love with love him telling me 
that everything about me is great, but my skin, my skin is the thing that makes me the problem. It is my lot. It is my problem. It is my disability. Nothing I can control. I don't know why I'm black and why that's so bad. And I remember just, it took a while. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I had two babies. I had to work. Um, it just, it just devastated me. I, I could not understand man after man after man telling me, ugh, I just can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. Then to now later on be dating this other guy who was like the other way, he was more fetishizing. He was like, oh my gosh, ooh, you're exotic. Ooh, look at that skin. Ooh, you black women. I heard you guys do things. It was more sexual, like, Okay, you know, and he's, he was like, you know, we can never get married, right? But I want to try some chocolate. And I was like, seriously, dude? He said that to you? Yes, he was. And he, too, was a lot older than me. I think I was then about 25, and he was probably like 34. Wow. And then I was like, you're exotic. Ooh, I want to taste chocolate. Like, come on, but we can't date. And I can't marry you, but ooh, I want to taste chocolate. And I was like, yeah, okay, dude. Uh, oh, my God. So I got I got a lot of that, too, where they made it clear, we are not dating. You understand that. I'm not your boyfriend, but I want to do things to you or do things with you because, you know, you're black. It's cute. And it's, and cool. it's forbidden, which then always but, makes it exciting. Oh, yeah. Uh, For sure. Okay. So... <sighs> I want to, I want to talk about something and then after that I want to talk about the situation with your first husband and how that went down with the bishop um, because I think that's really important. When we had our pre-interview, you were talking about the first time that um, you were told that you, yeah, were a fence sitter and cursed and your skin was a trial and all these things. Um, And you heard that for more than one person. This was not just a singular event. And I remember thinking, like, what makes a person say, well, this is still a great option for me. Like, I think I'd like to stay in this religion. But I didn't ask. I let you. We we talked in about an hour in. You said something else. And I was like, oh, there it is. Like, I get it. And you were talking about how you came from. Please correct me if I'm remembering this incorrectly or if this is not accurate. But you came from a very poor family. You came from a very different part of town than what a lot of these Mormon people were living in. And you were being love bombed. You were receiving all of this love and affection in a very different way for the first time in your life. And you were looking around at these people and you were saying, this is what I want. This is the direction I want to go. This is how I want to live my life. This is who I want to be. And then these people are like, okay, great. Here is a game plan for how you get here. Which is why you were like, okay, what do I have to do? I'll study harder. I'll pray more. I'll be better. Um, And I just, it's, it's a story that is so common that you see everywhere else, right? Where it's like, what parts of me do I have to sacrifice in order to get over here or to whether it's heaven or salvation or $3 million, 
right? What parts of myself do I need to sacrifice? But because of the insidiousness of this, it was able to seep in in so, so many destructive ways because of your just acceptance of like, I need to be here. Is that, would you say that that is accurate? Sure. And you have to think, Debbie, why do people join gangs? Do you think they really want to yeah. hurt people? Yep, exactly. Why do they join gangs? Why would a young, beautiful girl join a gang right. and hurt people? Because she's getting her needs met. And exactly. you have to understand, we really were, my family, they are such good people. But yeah, they never even owned a home. My parents have never owned a home, yep. ever. I don't know. These people all had homes. They had cars. And I was being taught by them. You need to look to people who are doing it so you know how to do it. Your family isn't doing it. Your friends aren't doing it. So the Mormons are. Look at them. Look at us. Yeah. We are family. We have a, a man, a woman, and children and homes. Right. You don't have that, but this right. is how you do it. You need to look to us. You need to. And they were all a lot older than me. They were in their 40s. I was 18 and 19, you know. They were 40. They were 50. They were a lot right. older than me. Right. So I'm going to listen to them. Exactly. And I point that out. I hope that, sorry, I'm still a little fuzzy from being ill. So I hope that that came across in the way that I intended it. So I'm going to clarify. Mm -hmm. And it was not to speak to a character flaw at all. It was to say, I think that people, we get very, very caught up in, well, why would she do that? And why would they do that? And how could that even happen? And we get very exactly. prideful and like, I yep. would never. I'm like, you already have. It was just a different situation, right? We all do it. It's just a matter of where and when and how. And I like to be able to break down the like base level of what's happening so that people hopefully can be like, oh, I get it. I understand now what's actually happening here. So I just want to make sure that that's how that came across and not that I was saying at all that you were weak in that decision. It was just, yeah, I had been wondering for that whole hour, like, what makes you stay? And then you yeah, said that one more thing. And I was like, oh, okay. I get There's it. So like, many that reasons. Makes total sense. Yeah. So many reasons. Like why do people stay in bad marriages? Because there's enough that you think will change. Oh, so no. let's see. And you're convinced by the narcissist. So let's say you're in a bad marriage and he says, oh, you want to leave? Really? Well, I just bought you a million dollar house. So what are you going to do? You're going to go live in a shelter? And then you're like, Okay, I'm getting beat, but the beatings are only three times a week, and it used to be every day. And you're talking yourself into it. You're 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 negotiating. You're like, I, I think I've already taken the beatings, right? So they can't be too hard. And I have a million dollar house in comfort. Okay, then you get the beating. You're like, no, I'm out of this. I can't take the beating. And then you, it's over. And then he's like, okay, well now you've got five cars in case this one breaks down, what else do you need? Well, I need my children. Okay. And I need them in dance. I need them in this done. Okay. And then you're like, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. And then you're like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm out. I'm out. And he's like, wait, hold on. What about this, 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 and that I will hug you. Okay. You needed a hug. See, I gave you a hug. You're fine. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I did get a hug. It doesn't matter if the beatings or the cheating and all these things are happening. I got that hug I wanted. Right. So then you're sitting there again and you're like, I'm not dealing with this. You're packing your bag and you're out. And he's like, ah, he stands at the door. Where are you going? And you're like, I'm out of here. 
And he's like, okay, so guess what? Other men beat their wives. Do you understand that? And other men beat them every day, twice a day. I only do it three times a week in only 10 minutes as opposed to an hour. Right. And you're like, wait a minute. Oh, man, if I leave, it's, it's going to happen anyway because all men beat their wives. Other churches are going to be worse. And now I'm isolated from people. I'm isolated from the black communities. These white people seem like they like me. I'm not going anywhere. I can make it work. I can make it work. Oh, and sister, you're not enduring to the end if you just leave. You have questions. Why would you have questions? You have questions because you're not reading your scriptures. And if you are reading your scriptures, you're not spiritual enough. And if you're if you're not spiritual enough, what are you doing? This yeah. is your fault. It's your fault you're being offended. You're only offended because you want to be offended. No, I'm offended because it's offensive. Nope. You are offended because you have the spirit of contention. <gasps> I'm yes. bad? Yes, you're bad. Remember what you did in the pre-existence? <gasps> Correct. Oh, my gosh. It's me. It's me. Okay, okay, okay. I'll stop. Yes. And then it goes, and here we are again. Yes. That's why you stay. You're, you don't know. You don't think your environment's that bad because they're convincing you it's not. They're convincing you that the offense is necessary. And not yes. only that, you deserve it. Remember what you did. Yes. How dare you complain? That is a co natural consequences of the bad thing that you did. Stop complaining. Yes. And complainers, complainers are not spiritual. God would never have a good member complaining. <gasps> okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I love that analogy because it's true. And we talked about, and we'll get to this in a minute, um, the amount of help you received as a single mother. And so then, oh, yeah. you know, be, equating that to, yes, they're meeting my needs. They're paying my bills. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? But I, I want to... <sighs> Sorry, it's so I'm ha I am having so many emotions and like things because this is my history. Unfortunately, as ashamed as I am to admit that, um, that I'm not quite as articulate as I normally am. So I apologize for to the listeners, and I apologize to you. Um, but I I want to point out just because it just makes me it just makes me so upset. So. I've talked on multiple episodes um, with multiple people about how we're taught in these environments that we're bad, just exactly what you're saying, right? No, it's me. It's me. If I prayed more, if I tried harder, like I would be better. I'm flawed because I'm I'm not doing enough. And it's it's this shame that is so oppressive and so destructive. It is soul destroying this, this shame. And Everyone that I've spoken to has experienced this. Um, it damn near destroyed me. But now talking to you, you had all of that. You had all of the same things that me and all of these other women that we've talked to. But in addition to that, you were also told that your physical existence, like Things about you that could not change no matter how hard you tried were wrong. So you're having shame over something that you can't even tell yourself like, well, if I just tried harder, right? If I just tried harder, I'd be more patient. If I just tried harder, I'd be this. No, no, no. You can't try harder to have white skin. Like there is not a damn thing you can do to fix what they're telling you the problem is. And yet you are 
being forced to feel this shame about it over and over and over again. And it is disgusting. Devery, I don't think people understand this too. When you are a black person, there is a culture that I grew up with and they shut that down too. Cause they would be like, Ooh, no, like no Afros because that's not white. Um, Ooh, no braids. Uh, you know, your hair kind of looks like rope and don't do that. Oh, you brought a food to the pot. Like, Ooh, that's, that's a little too effing. That's a little too spicy. Calm it down. They, 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 they molded me. Yeah. And, and the thing about it is people talk about Karen's. I have Margaret's. I, I used the word Margaret because Margaret is the character in Dennis the Menace that she's bossy and she yeah. doesn't care and she listens. That's why I use Margaret. But remember, I'm having, I, I have so many texts from white females that are consistently do this, do this. You're bad. You're too sexual. You're too this. You're too sensual. You got too much makeup. Your hair color's wrong. You need to be calm. No black. That's too ethnic. No wild hair. Your blonde is not appropriate. You need natural looks. No color. Your nails are too long. They look like prostitutes. Um, you know, you need to be calm. No red nail polish. That's just weird. Um, no cleavage. No none of this. And these are these are my peers. These are my female friends. Oh my gosh. And yes, I am better to, than you, Chanel, because I live the gospel and you don't. You've been divorced. And you're probably promiscuous. Yeah, I am looking down on you. Yes, I'm talking this way because I am better than you. And you need to learn and you need to do what I do. Look at our life and look at yours. Your life is like that because of how you live and how you think. I don't have to work. My husband makes this. He takes care of this. You don't have that. You don't have that. And the reason why you don't have that, why do you think you got divorced from your husband? Because you wasn't living the gospel, which is so untrue, which is so untrue. It had nothing to do with me living the gospel, but that's a judgment. And then when you talk about the preexistence thing, when 2016 came out, came and Donald Trump became president, my friends that I had no clue started saying the most racist, egregious things. When George Floyd died, that's when I was like, oh my gosh, I got to leave. I'm not safe. They were like, that's what the black people get because they're rioters, they're looters, they're awful people. They did it in the pre-existence and look at them, they're doing it now. So I have some texts from some friends saying, see, you have to understand, Chanel, I love you and I'll be here for you. But the reason why you guys are getting shot by the cops, the reason why people are treating you guys bad is because number one, that's what you chose in the pre-existence. And so now you come to earth and you're acting like this, you're upsetting the cops. You're upsetting humanity. You're not behaving. You're not conforming. What do you think is going to happen? You guys are bad welfare recipient people. <clears throat> These are my friends talking to me like this. Can you walk the listeners through? I mean, I can, I, I've read the book, so I can do my best, but I think you're going to do a much better job of it. How and why and what is actually happening within the Mormon church that's creating this level of racism. Um, oh I actually, gosh. let me just tell the readers what you had me read and you can recommend anything else. Um, so I read on Chanel's advice, uh, Mormonism and white supremacy by Joanna Brooks. 
Uh, Joanna is actually still a member of the church from the book jacket and what I can tell. Um, and this book is very historically accurate. Like she's got, you know, photocopies of actual church memos and releases and newspaper, newspaper articles. And um, she breaks down not only the actual doctrines and um, talks and stuff as they came out, but also how that is affecting the church, how it's affecting the church members, how the prophet's approach affects how people think. Um, so I would highly, highly, highly recommend this to anyone who has questions about this. Um, and then Chanel, go ahead and just break down, yeah, all the hows and whys and how this feeds through to create your experience. So you have to think about something, and that's why I've had a little bit of patience with members. They were only doing what they were taught that they were evil if they didn't support. Because remember, the church teaches, do not question your church leaders. Yeah. No matter what they do, you don't understand everything you don't know. So if you yes. have prophet after prophet after prophet saying we're evil, don't mix with us, we're gross, and that the Negro are nice people, but if you mix with them, get that virus out of you. That was a quote from a prophet. I have to remember who said that. Mm -hmm. But he says, don't you dare get that virus inside of you. So they're scared. I'm a black person getting the virus. So you got to think about it. There are so many books from members. I do not read anti-Mormon literature. I only go to sources that actually like Mormons to make sure that it's valid sources and not just trying to tear it down so that I can make sure there's not a confirmation bias situation with me. So Joanna Books is one of them. She loves the church. So why would she write a book like this? Because she sees that it's a problem. You've got Ezra Taft Benson that was part of the John Birch Society, which John Birch Society is a far right group who believes that any bout to fight for civil rights is communism. Yeah. And I have members now telling me, yeah, that to fight for civil rights and George Floyd, that's a Marxist um, communist situation. And I'm like, what? No. George Romney, uh, which is Mitch Romney's father in the 60s, was threatened by apostles for supporting civil rights. He got, yeah. and I posted that letter too, that he threatened basically, he, the, the prophet told a story of, hey, let me tell you the story of this person who ended up drowning and died. I mean, I'm not saying anything, and this is not from the first presidency, but you might receive the same fate if you don't stop doing what you're doing. Yep. So members are hearing that, first of all, we are a virus, we're wicked, we're this and that. And that you are going to be punished for even entertaining the thought to mix with them. They're so terrible. And so recently, members are saying, well, President Nelson said that we are not racist, that we love everybody. A statement is an action. Yeah, I can beat my kids and say, I do not beat my kids. It's a statement. Your actions speak louder. So if you're telling your congregation at General Conference, hey, Love everybody. We're not racist. Okay, back it up. How you back that up is you have firesides teaching anti-racism, what it looks like. You teaching equality. You teach that the skin. By the way, guys, we're human. We got it wrong. Their skin isn't cursed. Guess what? Right. They're not cursed. They're not bad. They're not wicked. In the pre-existence, they didn't do this. But that's not being done. So what do you think right. the attitude's going to be? You don't change hundred years over a hundred years of information. So if you have 10 people and let's say 50 years ago, 10 people believed all these horrible things about black people. And now 
only eight believe that and the other two don't. It's still indoctrinated. It's still in their system. But what has those other eight been teaching their generation, their generation, their generation, their generation? Every time you turn on the news, there's a national story in Utah of racism, of an act, of blackface, of um, calling somebody the N-word. Just recently, I came to Utah County. I've been here for four years. I'd never been called the N-word. This is the only county in Utah I hadn't been called the N-word. And I bragged about it because people said, Utah County is very racist. I'm like, no, it is not. Well, guess what happened a week ago? I'm getting groceries out of my car. And I live, uh, here's grass, and then here's the street. I'm here getting my groceries, and here's a car slowing down. I'm thinking, oh, what's going to happen is they're going to slow down and ask for directions because I live in the condos. So they're, it's either DoorDash or it's an Uber, okay? And I, they, I live on the end, so they always slow down and ask me if I'm outside. Hey, where's such and such? So I, I look down to, you know, greet the person slowing down, and he says, N-word! And I was like, Oh my God. It was a kid. It was a kid. And I was like, why would he yell that? It's to hurt. No other reason. Why would a kid in 2022 yell that to me? So then I was talking about it. And then the one guy says, proof, we need proof. What? So first of all, I didn't have my handy dandy phone ready because I was getting my groceries out. And had I recorded it, they would have thought it was staged. There's no win on this. No, if no. I had recorded it, why would I have my phone out recording? Then they would say it's staged. There's no win. Right, exactly. And I, the, the teachings from the church is not being untaught. Recently, they had right. Ahmad Corbett say that the church is the most inclusive church in the world. He's black. And I love the church. I'm the token. And I'm telling you guys, it's so great. He's lying. Because the doctrine is there. All yeah. of the information is there. There's instances after instances after situations of it. I just recently have, and, and I will not tell anybody who he is. I will protect his identity because he asked for forgiveness. I recently had, what, four days ago, a missionary from my mission apologize to me for the racist remarks him and other missionaries made to me on a transfer and asked me to forgive him. He said, I was 19. You are amazing. I just saw you on Mormon stories and I'm sorry, please forgive me. And I said, of course. I said, that was over 20 something years ago. I believe you didn't know what was going on. He said, I am, I was horrible for what I thought back then, but I've grown since I am not that person. Right. He is the only one. There's many missionaries in my mission that said racist things to me. Not one of them have found me and contacted me except for him. Wow. Wow. That I think was, you mentioned it briefly and I think it was one of the most um, eye-opening things that I read in this Mormonism and white supremacy was I, so I've been aware for a long time within the church of how uh, some old doctrines stick around, some new ones are picked up. Like, it's like bizarre how people kind of pick and choose. Right. Um, and Joanna breaks it down really, really well. And oh, yeah. she, she talks about how the church uh, moved from like this peculiar people, right. To putting this persona out into the world to like become the all American good people. And it started with the Mormon top mm -hmm. fire, moved on to the yep. Osmonds. Um, very, very interesting. But then 
she makes this delineation of this is where the church started doing PR and where the church members learned that there were some things you shouldn't say to other people or you should word it in a little bit different way to make it like publicly okay and to not make the church look, look bad. And that exactly. that's number one. We can't make the church look bad. Um, so she's, she's setting this all up. And then she explains how it creates this culture and it would be heavy, heavy in Utah because, you know, those are the OGs, right? Um, and it is this very large group of members who, even though we believe in prophets, seers, revelators, blah, 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 all this stuff, that they discount certain things that are spoken if it seems like it might be PR. And they discount it as like, oh, well, that's what we're telling the world. But the real story is this, right? The real story is what all of these old prophets have said about mixing our seed with the seed of black people and, and, you know, fence sitting in the pre-existence. Like that's the real story, but we can't say that. So we don't actually right. need to pay attention to this. And then she says exactly what you said. Even when these announcements are made about the blacks being able to um, get the priesthood in 1978, um, finally, and being able to get temple marriages in 1978, which was like, I think, I think this had two months before I was born is when they changed and allowed black people into these wow. ceremonies in the, in the church, which is crazy. Um, but they discount what is being said because there's no retraction because like exactly what you're saying, they're not saying we were wrong. This is incorrect. We made a mistake or we were completely out of line. We need to make amends. That doesn't happen. They just say, oh, we love people, which then exactly. allows the members to be like, well, yeah, but that's not the real story. And so then that mentality continues, that treatment of black people continues. And it's why 20 year olds think it's okay to have blackface in Utah and yell out the N word because they're hearing these things at home. They're hearing these things in Sunday school. They're hearing you know, like bits and pieces from here, there and everywhere, even if it's not considered quote unquote mainstream. And I think it's imperative that people understand what's happening there because so many members, and this is where I get so frustrated, is they're like, no, 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 that's not a thing. Like we didn't do that. That's not, you know, it wasn't doctrine or whatever they want to say. And it, it, it definitely was. And it's, definitely there and it is more horrible than i was prepared to read in this book frankly the level of the racism that was because it wasn't just a um i think a lot of times it's painted when it is painted at all it's painted as well it's just god like god just said no but we love them so much we love black people but god just said no but that's not what it was it was yeah, fear around mixing our seed and that they are less than and we won't be ruled over by black people. Like the language exactly. from some of these prophets was disgusting. Oh, yeah. And, it's and also, it still happens now. Yes. And it's written off as, well, it's just the times. Like that was just normal back then. And it wasn't. It wasn't normal back then. I mean, for it's like certain pockets. But yeah, it's. Like that was in the civil rights time and everyone's mm -hmm. attitude was changing and the Mormons were holding on to, well, God said they're bad, which is actually way more significant, frankly, because it's weighted heavier, right? Like it's one thing to think someone is horrible. It's another thing to think they're horrible because God thinks they're horrible. 
Exactly. That is so incredibly painful. I have an interaction with the, I, a friend, I, I can't even call her a friend anymore, but she has a lot of statistics on black people. And I asked her, I said, can I ask you a question? Can you please tell me why you have so much information and not even true information on black people? You say that black on black crime is a thing. Why do you care about that? What are you trying to prove? Well, black people are whiny. Black people are not hurt. And she corrected me in a conversation we had. And I looked at her and I I just stopped talking. I said systematic racism. And I meant systematic. There is systemic and there's systematic. She's like, excuse me, it's systemic. And I thought, oh my hell, lady, I'm not a dumb person, but she treats me like that. She goes, first of all, it's systemic. And by the way, she loves Candace Owens. And she started saying all these things to me. And she's like, um, there's teen pregnancy. And I said, honey, we're in Utah. Do you know how much teen pregnancy is here? Well, it's among the black women and it's among black teenagers. And I was like, honey, are you not awake here? That's what's going on here in Utah. Like, I'm like, I was like, wow. And she goes, Oh, and then the crime of, I said, so what I'm hearing is there's black on black crime. So we deserve to be treated bad by cops, but there's no white on white crime. I'm in Utah. Have you seen the registry for sex offenders? Yeah. Are you, are you blind for murder, for rape, for putting stuff in people's drinks, for embezzlement, for like, I said, excuse me, you have no statistics on white crime. Why are you focused on black crime? Because you think we're less and you're trying to prove that we're less. Right. Well, and it goes, let's see. I wrote, I made a note here. Let me see if this is the right quote for what you're talking about. Listen, I marked this book up a lot. And so there's too much. But like, um, she talks about the, oh, the racing for innocence. Do you remember this part? Yes. So I'm going to read it for the readers really quick. So again, this is from Joanna Brooks, uh, Mormonism and White Supremacy. So she says, claiming one's own history of oppression and seeking to use shared oppression as the basis for a relationship to a community of color without taking responsibility for one's own culpability in the oppression of that community of color is a rhetorical act scholars have called racing for innocence. It uses a history of persecution to excuse, distract, and step around the hard work of setting relationships right, addressing uncomfortable histories, and seeking reconciliation. And I think that this is part of what you're talking about right now. It's like, oh, well, it's not us, it's you. Oh, but we are innocent, right? Like, you are bad, and we are persecuted by you, and we are being put upon by you instead of let me actually listen and look and see what's going on. Um, I'm sure I've shared this story before, but I am embarrassed to admit because I live in Idaho um, and there are now, there are more people of color here within the last five years than in, than I've seen in my entire life living here. Um, So when I was growing up and up until five years ago, I could go literally six months to a year without seeing a person of color ever. There were so few here. Um, And so I did not realize nor believe that racism was to the level that it is. 
And I didn't understand. Like, I was like, oh, it's not that bad. And then I was traveling for book stuff and I was in an airport. I think I, it might've been Texas actually. Um, but I remember standing in a, um, like the airport convenience store thing. And there were three people in line. So there was a white male and then a black male and then me. And the cashier was a white woman and she was very kind to the white man at the register. Oh, thank you, sir. Have a nice day. Blah, blah, blah. The black man steps up and everything about this woman demeanor changes in an instant. Yep. Like she is yep. cold. She is snippy. She is, I mean, almost angry. And yes. I, I listen, I'm observant I, with people. Don't ask me street science, but I will watch the situation. So I'm like, no, like yep. what the hell? I'm like, maybe she knows, like what is going on? And then he left and I walked up and yeah, immediately back to, hi, how are you? And I was like, yeah. oh my God. Oh my God. Like I had never really seen it. And from like, it just blew everything wide open. And then of course I started seeing it everywhere. Like I was watching flight attendants respond differently to a black man than a white man. And I, it's all you have to do is look for two seconds and pull yourself out of this innocent mentality to really start to see what's going on. And then you add the religious God aspect to it. And like, we need to see, everyone needs to see. I'm so tired because I don't think people understand the other aspect. That is blatant. Okay. But what about this? I'm okay. So I'm going to say this and then I'm going to explain it because it's going to sound weird, but I'm basically a celebrity but not a not a favorable one doing celebrity things without getting paid. And let me explain what that means. For example, I can't go into the grocery store without a white person coming up. And I know that they're trying. I just want to shop without having to, to make them feel comfortable. Yeah. But this lady comes, this lady comes up to me and I'm shopping. I have my bonus kids, my, my husband's children and my children. And they're all throughout the store. I'm in the produce aisle. And I'm like, oh, no, because I can tell this lady makes eye contact with me and her body language. She marches over to me, like marches over to me and grabs me. OK, remember, and I'm going to tell you, white women touch me all the time in Utah. But if I were to go up and touch a stranger, a white woman, she'd probably call the cops. But they touch me. So I'm sitting there and I was I was, you know, examining this pair. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get it. And I look up and she comes marching. She grabs me and she pulls me in and she says, hello, Dora. And I'm like, my name's not Dora. <laughs> and she goes, I know, but I know this black woman and her name's Dora. Shut and I'm like, what? No, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And she starts talking to me and my kids see and they all split. They start laughing and they split. And I'm like, you little shits. But anyway, they leave me there with this woman. She's a lot taller than me. I'm 4'11". I'm, I'm short. And she's tall and she's a big, big lady and she's like hovering over me and grabbing me. And I'm just like, and everybody's watching. And um, she's like, listen, Dora, I got to tell you something. What's going on here? And I go, what do you mean? She goes, look around. What's going on? Something's going on. Something's going on. And, I, and she, this is the energy. Something's going on. I'm like, uh, what's going on? She goes, black people. There's at least of, and she's loud. There's at least a hundred of you here. I'm so excited. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, don't you see? There's an exodus of black people moving to Utah County. You guys are everywhere. This is great. 
and she's yelling this and people are looking at me and she goes, I, you know why it's president Nelson. I said, what? She oh goes, my Pres- God. President Nelson told us at general conference to love the black people, to not be racist. And I said, so you needed a prophet to tell you not to be racist. She goes, yeah. She goes, you guys are everywhere. It's because of President Nelson. And now there's an exodus and you guys are everywhere. So I'm going to love you guys. I'm going to treat you well. In fact, I have a beautiful blonde daughter with blue eyes and she would be great with the black man. Could you imagine the babies? And I'm like, oh my God. And she's loud. This I'm, I'm animated because this is how she was. And I'm sitting here. I'm starting to get hives on my skin because I'm so embarrassed. I don't want her touching me. And then I'm doing the work inside thinking, do you tell her to back off? But then her purpose is she's trying to integrate. She's trying to help. So you're going to shut that down in her. But at the same time, if she goes to the wrong black person, they're going to hit her because she's touching you. What do you say? You don't you don't want to discourage her for trying, but you don't want to let her know, think that this behavior is okay. I did not know what to do. So now I'm trying to think about how to make her comfortable, not make me comfortable, yeah. how to make her comfortable and she's touching me she's hugging me she's grabbing my hands she's grabbing my shoulders and she's loud and so finally I break away from her I she would talk to me for a while just saying all these things and about President Nelson and I'm freaked out and I'm so embarrassed I am so embarrassed so I finally get away from her and I kid you not the kids are laughing they're making fun of me so I have my hats back up and I'm putting groceries in and I see her I'm like she runs over with her husband. She goes, see, there she is. Come on, honey. And she's coming towards me. I'm like, hell no. We jump in the car and I leave. This is at a Macy's. At a local grocery store. In front of everybody. But then I'm at a Smith's with my husband. This man comes up to me and he's staring at me. I'm, I'm looking at fish. I'm like, ooh, this is on sale. And I look up and he comes right here. And I'm like, hi. And he's like, where are you from? And I go, Texas. He goes, uh-uh. Where are you from, darling? And I go, Texas. And he goes, where are you really from? I go, oh, San Antonio. And he goes, no, your people, your skin, your color. You've got a certain type of skin. You type of women come from a certain place. Very, very beautiful. Where are you from? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, and I look up at my husband, and he's just staring, too. And I'm like, where my friend, where my friend? Oh, I'm in Utah County. He goes, no, 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 no. Your people, where are your people from? Your skin, your skin, your skin. It's not like everybody else's. And I go, you mean because I have, like, 20% Irish in my DNA? He's like, there you go. He says, I knew it. I knew that's what makes you so pretty. That book makes you so gorgeous is that you've got that in your DNA. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, just beautiful. I love your people. And he leaves. And my husband's like, what the hell? And I'm like, I don't know. But that's what I'm talking about. I can't go to the store. It's fine to, to compliment me. But when you're touching me and you're saying weird things and I don't know what you're talking about and you think I'm supposed to know what you're talking about, I'm frustrated. I don't want to go to the store because I, I do. I want people to try to integrate but I want them to listen at what works and what's effective and what freaks me out. Right. You're touching me. I don't know you. Debra, could you imagine if somebody just came up to you? I'm not even talking about race, but anybody just comes up to you and they start touching your shoulders and your hands and your hair that you don't know. 
No, I don't like it at all. At all. Like, and I don't usually get my hair touched. But yes, if someone tries to touch my shoulder that I am not very familiar with, oh, no. It is everything I can do well, not to step away. And every, sometimes well, I now, now add race. Now add race. Now add that there's, there's this, this black woman. There's a reason why I'm bringing this up. There's a black woman. She's about 5'10". She's about 260 pounds. And she's all in your face. You're 4'11". And she's saying, you know, you white ladies, I know there's more of you white ladies here. I love you. And she's touching you and she's telling you that she has yeah. this black son that would be perfect for you, for a white woman. And you're just sitting there and she's yelling this at the top of her lungs because she's so excited. It would freak you out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that it's just your reality. Like it's not a one-time thing that this is just every time you leave it's in the history books though i'm gonna i'm gonna ask something which i'm nervous about because no i don't want to i don't want to say something stupid um so i'm going to tell you kind of something i heard and then what i thought about it and then please tell me if absolutely your thoughts on that so i was listening to it was a glenn and doyle podcast and they had on god i can't remember her name i have to look it up um just brilliant just brilliant woman and she was talking about yes white women um, wanting her to teach them like, okay, well, how do I do this? Right? Like, how do I be a good ally? And, and she was the most blunt I'd ever heard. Cause she's like, I don't want a fucking ally. Like I have friends. Right. And it's weird to me that they are like, well, how can I be your friend? You don't do that with a white person. You're not like, Hi, no, you how can not. I be your friend? And it was so good because I was like, duh. Like, I think that so many of us are like, yeah, well, how am I supposed to approach people of color then? And I'm like, you approach them like a human being. Like if I want to be friends with Chanel, then I'm going to be friends with Chanel because I like Chanel, not because like, I don't have any black friends. So I should probably be friends with Chanel. Like what the fuck is that? That's what they think. And then the conversations are weird. Yeah. And I'm like, we we spend all this time being like, I don't want to be racist, which is good that it's coming to the forefront. We're aware of it. However, the fact that we're approaching it as if black people are different entities with different thoughts and belief systems. I mean, there's cultural differences, I'm sure, just like there would be a cultural difference between someone who grew up in Brazil or whatever. Absolutely. But like, you are you are a person. And so why are we trying to find new ways of, instead of just treating everyone like we would treat people we're comfortable with like I just it's sad to me that I was like oh I get it (laughs) but like it 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 is like am I I mean am I on track here is like what are your thoughts I am so glad you brought that up because Debrie when I look at people when people say they don't see color they're lying you do see color but with me I just see people. I just like people. I do not care if you have blonde hair, green hair, white, black. I want to play. I I just want, I I want you to come over. I want to feed you. I'm from the South. I just want you to come to my house and I want to feed you. I don't think, well, if you're white, then this, or if you're Hispanic, then this. I just want you to bring your ass to my house. I want to play games. I want to cook for you. I want to talk about the crazy things in the world and I want to laugh. That's what I want. But that is not the case with white women, especially in Utah. Okay, sorry, this is going to be an abrupt little edit, everyone, but we had some major, major tech issues. Um, 
So Chanel and I have just been, you know, chatting and trying to chat through the last 25 minutes of lovely internet <laughs> problems, but we got, we're back, we're here. Um, so we were talking about just um, feeling like you're a celebrity and not actually any benefits of being a celebrity and, and people's um, sad attempts at integrating and uh, the need for that to be much, much better than what it is. Um, do you have anything else you want to add before we move on? Yes, I think the work has to be done in your homes, at your jobs, at church, whatever. And it has to be done with people that look like you. And you have to be able to, to embrace your fragility and say, hey, that makes me uncomfortable because I have biases. I erase. A racist isn't a white supremacist. And people hear the word racist and they freak out. Okay, I'm a clueless person. I'm an ignorant person, but I'm also a smart person. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. People get afraid by being labeled a racist or that anything they said was racist because they equate that with harm and white supremacy. Uh, harm is even a simple microaggression. Harm is saying, oh, black people whine too much. It's not that bad. That's racist. That's a racist statement. Right. So it doesn't have to be like this horrible thing where you're physically hurting somebody for it to be racist. And also... Um, CRT. People don't even understand what it is. Things need to be taught. Equality, solidarity, inclusion, those things need to be taught to your children so that they don't do blackface. These things yeah. need to be taught so you can understand that the society is still hurting black people simply because of your of our skin, because of preconceptions of who we are. The confirmation bias comes with, see, told you, See what that black person did? Therefore, all black people are like that. And that's why we can justify racism and hatred towards them. There you go. Yeah. You have to do the work. You have to you do, do the work. And the work is out there. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for saying all of that. I will say to anyone listening, I have figured out over the past three years, I've done a lot of internal work just across the board, like not just about this, just everything. And what I've learned is, Anytime, okay, well, let me back up a little bit. I have learned how to be very, very self-aware because I've done it on purpose. And so now because I can stand in a place of self-awareness, anytime I feel immensely uncomfortable, there's a minute where like my old programming is there. If it's like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I need to remove myself from this situation because that's what we think we need to do. We need to eliminate this feeling. We need to feel better. So we're going to step away to feel better. And that's actually not what we should do. If I feel uncomfortable, it is a waving flag. I've learned it's a waving flag that says there's something here that I need to look at. Cool. There's a problem that I need to address. There's a thought process that is not correct. There is something here that I need to turn and look at. And so I have, and I am not perfect. I still have a long way to go, but I've trained myself to be like, take a breath, get a little quieter and really look without shame. And I think this is really critical is that if we just look, all we see is, oh my God, we're uncomfortable. But if we can look and be like, oh, I'm having a racist thought right now. And I'm not going to shame myself for it because I need to stay here. I need to sit with this. I need to see what's happened. I need to really realize why it's happened. I need to evaluate whether that's something I actually believe and hold to be true. Or if this is something that needs to change and I need to be open to being wrong. I need to be open to apologizing. I need to be open to really seeing the way that my thought process has developed over the course of my lifetime. Like whatever it is, 
those uncomfortable feelings are not something that need to be escaped. They are something that need to be looked at so that we can grow and change and become better people. Okay. So moving on, um, talk to us about your first husband, um, how that happened, because this really set your life in a very different direction. Um, and I think it's important that we hit on that. So I was living with a girlfriend and I got a knock on the door and it was a a lady and she said that she was my visiting teacher and she, I was new in the ward because we had just moved into the apartments and she wanted to introduce herself and she says, oh, wait a minute. You know what? You're pretty. I think you would be perfect for my friend. You would be perfect for my friend. And I said, oh, yeah. And she goes, any chance I can have your number? I would like to give it to him. I think you guys would be a perfect match. And would you like to talk to him? And I was like, well, who is he? And she's like, well, he was a companion of my husband and he's black. And I was like, oh, he's black. And she's like, yeah, and he's a member. And I was like, oh, okay, wow. I don't know any black members. And so of course, then I wanted to talk to him because that's what they're telling me I need to mix with. I was 20, 25 at the time. So I said, okay. So we started talking on the phone. I'd never seen him. I saw a picture that she had. Um, you know, we talked and the typical Mormon thing, we talked for a few days a week and he's like, I think we should get married. And I was like, uh, we haven't even met. So then he was in a different state. And so between her, her husband and another friend that knew him here, um, that got in contact with me, they, uh, had him come out and I met him. And so I had my girlfriend with me cause she's like, who's this guy I want to meet? She was not a member. And so he comes over and I'm just like, nope, I'm not feeling it. This is not going to work. And so she's like, no, no, no. So we're talking to each other and it's not happening. She goes, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. And so we went out to dinner with my friend, his friend, and we just went out to dinner. And so we just kept talking and talking. I liked talking to him. I just didn't think dating would be appropriate or for me. And he was in a different state anyway. So we just kept talking, 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 and he kept saying marriage, marriage, marriage. I was like, mm, yeah, okay, okay. So uh, I was talking to, I was at a singles ward at the time. And I was talking to my branch president about the situation. And uh, he had, the, the, the my, hus- my husband at the time proposed to me in front of everybody at the cultural hall. And I was so embarrassed. I wasn't ready. And I said, yes, of course, you know, everyone's looking and that's a Mormon thing to do. I went to my bishop and I'm like, the branch president, I was like, no, mm -mm." he's like, sister, seriously? And I was like, no, he's like, oh my gosh. He says, what is the problem? Is he hurting you? Is he bad? Is he not spiritual? And I said, no. And they said, okay, so what's wrong with you? Are you reading your scriptures? I'm like, yes. Are you fasting? Yes. You going to the temple? Yes. You're doing your callings. Then what's the problem? He's black. You're black. He's a member. You're a member. What is the problem? That is the perfect match, except I'm not feeling anything towards him. It doesn't feel right. Over the phone was one thing. I'm seeing him. It's not connecting. I feel uncomfortable. I feel scared. He's like, sister, you need to read your scriptures. You're not trusting your priesthood leaders. 
we know revelation. We understand these things and we're not feeling anything. So you, so it's on me, even though my, my feelings are invalidated by patriarchy and by black women don't know anything because it was like, uh, uh, he's black, you're black. But when it was a white guy, the bishop was like, no way, that's not happening. But we're perfect for each other because we're black. And so any two righteous people can make it. I don't know what the problem is, especially two blacks. There's no way this is not going to work. It did not work. It was terrible. You know, no shade to him. I've gotten over it. We we talk now. But it was awful. It was awful, 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 embarrassing, so embarrassing of everything that transpired. And because my church leader said what my feelings were were invalid because I wasn't, I must have done something wrong. Seeing it, it uh, there's so, there's so, so much here. And again, it's this, this layering thing where it's, um, you are not the first person that I've talked to that has said um, in Mormonism specifically, I didn't feel right about this marriage and my bishop or, you know, whoever said, well, I received revelation and it's a great idea. And as women in the church, we're like, we've been taught really. And this is, I get so upset about this. What at the, at the bottom of it, when you boil it all the way down, we've been taught that their revelation is more important than ours. Their revelation is more accurate than ours. And so we set our intuition down. We set our answers to prayers down. We set our knowing down. And we take what they're handing us because that's what we're supposed to do. So that's happening. And then in addition, he's literally the only black man that is Mormon. And so it's like, well, what else are you going to do? Because you're not allowed to marry the rest of us. So of course it's going to work. Like it's insane. It's madness. And you went along with it just like we all went along with it because God. So people talk, sending either text messages or coming up in person about, you know, whether you weren't white enough, your nails weren't right, your hair wasn't right. Um, also that you, you know, were sinning because you had gotten a divorce and were a single parent and all these things. What I've noticed is that this happens in the church a lot. Um, and again, I think you got it to a far more extreme version, but this mentality that we can say and do what we want because we're saving their souls. Therefore, this isn't cruelty. It's God's work. Well, the thing I, I wanted to write this book called the, the 12 Margaret's, you know, because <laughs> I, I thought about my friendships over the years and, and let me tell you something. It is my friendships. Remember my friendships are going to be with white women, not white men, because the women don't want you to be friends with their, their husbands. I understand that. So all of my friendships have been with white women and what they've said to me and text. What happened is in 2016, when all this stuff was happening with George Floyd, I would make comments on Facebook. So she messaged me and said, why are you leaving the church? What's going on? Talk to me. And I told her, she goes, you have to understand. And I quote, in the beginning, God cursed the evil people with dark skin. She says, notice I didn't say black skin. Jeez. I said dark skin. And what it's for, it's for us. 
It's to teach us white people how to love you better. It's a, your trial is for our benefit. Your trial, this is what she said, your trial is to help us love you guys better. You see how much we're loving you guys better. That's why you're black. It's for me to become a better white person. Got it. Man, what a what a magnanimous God looking out for white people like that. That's what she told me. So, so nice. Oh that was one God. of them. And then the other one was mad at me because she told me to get off TikTok and that um, she that I shouldn't be making um, my videos. And plus, I needed to wake up because TikTok was going to take over the world. And then she said a bunch of racist things like, how dare you get mad at, I mean, how dare you support any pulling down of the statues of Robert E. Lee or anybody else? Um, you know, just because they did racist things doesn't mean that their statues need to be taken down. It's history. And I told her, so somebody murdered and hurt your daughter and they had a statue. That's okay. She didn't want to answer me. Right. And I said, nobody needs right. to be reminded of that. And we're talking about the Confederate flag and crosses. She goes, how stupid are you? It doesn't matter. I said, it matters to my parents. Remember, this was just in the generation of my parents where people would stick crosses right. and Confederate flags in their yards and burn them. She's like, but right. that doesn't have anything right. to do with you. Sure it does. That's my parents. My parents could not right. eat with your parents and drink the same water fountain. Do you not get that? She didn't want to hear it. Then the other one was telling me the black on black crime, all the statistics about black people whining, that racism isn't a thing, that it's a mental thing. That is that we, you're offended because you want to be offended. You're oppressed because you want to be oppressed. Nobody's hurting you. The church is not racist. Get over yourself. You're just struggling. And so you're trying to blame the church for your problems. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's okay because they're defending their church. They're defending the honor of their church. They're defending themselves. They're defending their whiteness. They're defending. So it's okay. It's totally fine that we say those things. Yeah. So the one thing that I actually had not thought about um, is how you are really at this point in your life finding yourself very caught in the middle between white people and black people and talk, talk to us about the reality of that situation for you. So I don't think people understand, and the church made it very adamant. So if you leave, where are you going to go? Who's going to be there for you? They weren't lying. They knew that if they took their support and friendship away, I really wouldn't have anything because I've already isolated my religious friends. They knew. They're not dumb. They know about the black community. So what happens is I'm on TikTok thinking I'm telling my story. Black people, nobody black is following me. It's white people following me, trying to help, trying to understand Black people I've reached out to said, well, how dumb are you? In the comments, you got to read these comments. Well, how dumb are you, stupid? You joined them. You knew they were racist, dummy. You must wanted the torture. Why would you do that? What dumb black person joined the church? Shame on you. I mean, and why are you talking about it now? You're the one who chose to be in it. You're the, cho you're the one that chose to be abused. So why are you complaining about it? This is a black community. Yeah. And so I'm trying to... And then they're like, well, and, and you, you're white, you know, you act like them. Kinda. I've been raised by them. I mean, from 18 to 50, they're then my teacher. So maybe I do emulate some of who are, they are, you know, and, and the way that I, I talk and the way that I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not around any black people. And so now this community that I am, and I've had, like I said, there's about 
there's actually about 30 something of us, but the ones that actually make content is probably like 23 of us, 24 of us. We're in a uh, Marco Polo group. We message each other. We talk about things in a safe space where we're like, and I don't feel like I'm crazy. I don't feel like I'm lying. You know, I don't know if you've seen Black Menaces, but they um, talk about these things happening and they're way younger than me. They're, they could be my kids. So if they're saying these things are happening at BYU, it hasn't changed. They're like, oh, it's changed. It's not even racist anymore. Sure it is. Yeah. Sure it is. That's why they are there. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, explain Black Menaces at BYU just really quick what it is and, and what they are so that they understand. So Black Menaces is a group of uh, Black BYU students who, um, a lot of them are still active. Uh, I think they all are active. They're going around asking white students and black students, mostly white students about different things. Like they'll say, do you know what a microaggression is? Or have you ever dated a black person? What do you think about LGBTQ rights? What do you think about this? And these kids are answering on camera uh, these these things. And it is it is horrible. Some of the comments. It's horrible. One of the guys, when you say, I almost dated a black girl. And really, she did have this ethnic name. It was like Shaniqua or something. Oh, yeah. He did say Shaniqua, which is a very tropey, stereotypical, yeah. derogatory name of a black person. And yes. we were just like, are you kidding me? And, you know, just the different things that, that they're saying, but they don't understand. My kids have been around these other kids. My son has come home so many times about things said about his hair, about his skin, about his mother. They just don't get it. And just to say, well, black people are getting hurt. They're worried about the cops. They hurt each other. The reason why black people, the biggest crime is black people, black on black crime, not the police, not white people. White people aren't hurting you. You're hurting each other to take away from what's actually happening. And it's like the black menace, I, they highlight and showcase that it's actual racism that and they also highlight the fact that these have been church leaders that have implemented it to congregations during Mormon doctrine, during uh, insight in, in, you know, in different church publications at the pulpit, different bishops having different opinions, speaking these things at state conferences, saying things. Yep. You know? Yep. Exactly. Well, I was, I was appalled. I can imagine you were appalled as well, but let me know. Um, there was a, a talk given to the youth conference, which I'm sure you're well aware of by the lovely Brad Wilcox, who I really dislike, um, saying some of the most racist, horrible, awful things. And it was to large groups of youth. It was broadcast everywhere. He was sent on the authority of the first presidency. It was absolutely endorsed by the church. And it went viral on social oh, media. Yes. And so the church offered a very rare apology because they almost never do that. And they did a broadcast with Brad Wilcox. And it was so infuriating to me because it, it Brad Wilcox comes on and starts talking. And I obviously didn't mean racist. I love black people. And then it pans to the token black man that man who's like indeed and then back to brad wilcox who talks and then just like two or three times it just like again we're just going to show this black man's face see see we're not racist there is a black man in the room and it was just 
infuriating, but the members take that because that's what they want. Yeah. They want to hear that because it makes them feel calmer. So they're like, well, see, I mean, we had a black person right there. So we can't be racist. And that is asinine and completely incorrect. Um, and I think you said that very clearly with the difference between racism and white supremacy. And I think what people need to note too, guess what else they were sending me? You know what? We're not racist. They had the first black woman to speak at general conference. Oh, I uh, saw that. Listen, damn yeah. it. For you to notice that it's the first black woman. First of all, how many years? So general conference started what in 1836. You just now having a black woman speak. Are you out of your mind? Right. That, yeah. that is not a flex. That is just as demeaning because you had to point it out. Remember, you don't see color and you had to point it out. She is not a benefit as a stepping stone if she's echoing what you're saying. If she's echoing the racism right. and saying that she's fine, then that's it's a different talk, a different situation. If she's like, listen, I am here to be the face to say, hey, there's a lot of issues in the church. We are currently working on it. I am the head of this. I'm saying that it is wrong. I am apologizing and I am here to make it better. I'm here to educate them. I'm here to right. That's a different type. But if she's saying right. everything is right. great, sorry, if she's saying right. everything is exactly. great and everything is fine, uh, there's a lot of people that were in slavery that said they were fine because they got treated better. Me included. I got treated yeah. better when I lied for the church on my mission. It was a lot of racism happening to me from the members in Arkansas. But they put me on a panel discussion um, in Oklahoma, and I was like, no, the church isn't racist, even though Elder such and such had just said a bunch of racist things to me. Um, I was like, no, they love me. You see me. I'm here. Do I look hurt to you? And then I'd look at him like, what oh. else do you want me to say? Okay, okay, great. Oh, they love me. And guess what? Yeah, I was lying through my teeth. Oh my I wasn't God. talking. I felt good. They gave me a lot of attention. And talked about me and made right. me feel edified by lying for them. Right. Why do you think right. they chose me? Yeah. Oh, my God. So I want to bring up something because I'd like your opinion on it. And um, it's going to start with the uh, LGBTQ um, pop things that just came down from the church. And then I'm going to pull it back around to racism. So everyone just roll with me. I swear I'm going somewhere back to where we were talking about. Um, so I had a friend actually text me who is not LDS, but she follows this podcast really well. So she, um, so she sent me a message and she was like, is it true that the church is supporting, um, the LG, like the LGBTQ, uh, what is it? Not policy, but the, uh, the legislation to have the right to marriage or is TikTok just going crazy? Cause you know, this is five minutes ago when TikTok's been bananas. And I was like, there's no way that's gotta be TikTok. And then I look it up and I was like, oh my God, like it's because it's on the front page of MSN, right? Like Mormon church supports bill for equal rights. And so I was like, there's no, like, so there's something here that I'm missing. So I pull up the article and I start reading and it took me about three seconds. I was like, oh, there it is. There it is. Because of course it's no, we're going to support this because quote, we feel like this is the only way forward, which I was like, oh, that's a, that's a much larger statement than it appears. But also we then in return for our support, expect you to respect our religious freedom exactly. to not honor same sex marriages exactly. and to hold our religious beliefs exactly as we had it. 
So I, I screenshotted it. I sent it to my friend. I was like, and there it is. I was like, this will make things so much worse. Exactly. This will be so much worse. And she was like, how could it be worse? Like, at least they're doing something. And I was like, no, no, no. Because this is how it's going to go down. Right now, the LGBTQ is a little bit of a stickier topic I'm noticing for members. And it's because they know it's wrong how the LGBT people are being, Q people are being treated. Correct. They know people are dying. They know people are committing suicide. They, they hear and they see. And so there's a, there's a very weird energy that's happening where they're like, well, but God said so, but I also don't understand. This feels wrong. This feels bad. The second the church comes out in support of the bill, now they can set down all their bad feelings exactly, and be like, oh, but we don't hate, we don't hate LGBTQ people. Cause look, we supported this bill. We supported this legislation. So now what I see happening is exactly what's happened with blacks in Mormonism. There you go. Because this is the same pattern. There you go. <laughs> like, yes. Okay. Okay. I was like, it's, it's exactly the same. Absolutely. Cause that's what the Mormon church did. No, bad, 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 bad. Oh, it's okay. Now we're going to, we're going to, we, we love all people. We're not going to unteach we it. We're not going to show how to unteach exactly. it and then learn. We're just going to yeah, make statements exactly. so you can focus on our and, statements. And, yes. And then it gives people permission yes. to continue thinking exactly the same way they're thinking without any guilt, without any shame, without any self-reflection. They get to take all of those uncomfortable feelings that like a lot of members are feeling with this LGBTQ issue. And I'm sure it was happening at the same time during, you know, in the seventies where it's like, wait, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why is this? Why is this happening? The only reasoning I have here is because God said so. I've got nothing else. Exactly. But as soon as the church comes out with just this little crumb mm -hmm. of something without changing anything, now people feel like, oh, okay, we're fine. I can set it all there down. There you go. And that's, <laughs> that is the best way to describe it because that is exactly what happens with a lot of this. That's, yeah. that's what happens. They don't, un yeah. they don't unteach uh. anything. They make statements to to get you to focus on that it's like ad hominem yeah. it's like red herring oh focus on this look look focus on yeah. this oh yeah focus on this yes but it's still happening like it's being sprinkled over it's still here happening. But watch me look at me yeah that's what they do yeah exactly oh my god okay so what i would like to end on is i want to turn the time over to you um you left the Mormon church. And we actually didn't hit on that at all, but I think we hit on the important things. So it's okay. Um, but this transition out is so difficult and it's a huge reason why I'm doing this is because there are women all over the world who are leaving religions, not, I mean, all religions and they are losing community. They are losing family. They are losing, um, having to walk away from everything, which you've done. You walked away from the support system you had and not able to reintegrate into a community that you would like to, and also not integrated into the community you just left. Um, and, and trying to find ourselves again, you know, trying to remember what it's like to make choices and to trust our own intuition and to know that we're worthy without someone else, you know, this, this organization telling us, um, it's a very, very hard place to stand and people feel very alone and very lost. And it's, you know, the equivalent of jumping off a cliff without a parachute. 
And so if you, if you can, I would love to hear any advice you have for people, um, any, anything that you would like to share about that process out. Um, yeah. Um, there's a lot of feelings that come when I think about leaving. First of all, it was very hard to leave because some bishops make it really, really hard for you to get your names removed. Now, a lot of people say, why is it important to get your name removed? Just don't go. Well, if you don't get your name removed, you're still a member and they will still come see you and they will still harass yeah. you. They they will harass you and it'll it'll be very uncomfortable because, again, you're, you'll be trying to make them comfortable. And I have texts from the bishop who was telling me, no, I'm, there's no way I'm going to help you get your name removed. That's not my job. My job is to help you with your salvation, not to ruin your salvation. That was one bishop. Mm. So what happens is you're it's it's hard. So I, I don't recommend it for everybody. For me, it's extremely more hard because, number one, a lot of people that leave either have other people that understand, other Mormons that have left, and yeah. and they have family. Rather, their family is, they have some family that are still in, some that are not in. They still have family. And most family are either mean and ignore them, or they have family that aren't happy, but they still have it. They still have something. I don't have my family because of me joining. They, my family is great. I know they love me, but they're in a different state and it's, it is what it is, right? Well, then my friendships before, they're, they've been strained. And so you have to think about this. Two trials with both my kids at once. They were being hurt. And I'm not going to go into details to protect your privacy, but one was hurt and he's doing time. But I had to go through that by myself without any support from this community that says, we love you no matter what, but won't show up because I don't want to, I don't want to be a member. They don't understand being, being a member and leaving, leaving it is like breathing. I wanted to breathe. I was suffocating. I thought so many times about go standing in front of a bus and just end it all. I just didn't want to be here. Why would I be here? God doesn't love me. He thinks I'm cursed. The people that I look up to and love that are doing well are telling me that my community deserves pain and suffering. They're telling me my my 18-year-old beautiful daughter had a baby. There was nobody who showed up to her baby shower, to her gender reveal, came and saw us after she had her baby. Nobody showed up for them in their birthdays. They had a iconic birthdays at 18 year old um just different things they never showed up they didn't want to and and they made it very clear again like i said they're really interesting about accidentally putting you in group text um 50 was a big deal to me usually birthdays aren't a big deal but they knew for a long time i couldn't shut up about any turning 50 and wanting to be with people and love they made it very clear i hope nobody shows up for her i can't stand her and nobody did and it was fine it was fine. It was. Fine. I mean, it's absolutely, it's absolutely not fine. You got through it. That doesn't make it fine. I, I have never seen such cruel, nasty, mean people, but I knew who they were when I saw them talking about Kamala Harris. I was, I was dead. I was like, what? The, the things that these members said, they say I have a foul mouth because I like to cuss. They were calling her a whore. They were saying she's an oral sex recipient, the vice president of the United States. I didn't like Trump, but I did not say ugly things about his wife and what she had done. They were 
they said Michelle Obama was a man. She looked like a monkey. Um, oh and, and I'm this black woman that they know is seeing their posts. So they're talking to me, just wishing me harm. I don't wish any harm to any of them, even though they're staying in the church. I don't have a relationship with my mother-in-law for one reason and one reason only. She hates Mormons. I'm not even Mormon. And I have no relationship with her because of that. That's how everything about this is devastating. Like, I I don't think they get it. And to be a part of it, I have to be hurt. I brought my kids into this. I told them to take it and to endure to the end why people were consistently telling them that they were less and that something was wrong with them. And on TikTok, it took me a minute to talk about ex-Mormon content because I thought, first of all, I love a lot of people that are still in the church, so I don't want to hurt them. But I wasn't hurting them. All I was doing is telling the truth about my story. And if my truth hurts you, then you need to be hurt. You sat there and watched people tell me these things and did nothing. You didn't stand up and say, stop saying that to her. You know, yeah. you you just stood there and said, get over it. Endure it to the end. And so on TikTok... I never said anything because I was too scared. And I even reached out to ex-Mormons who were making content and said, yeah, you know, I, I get it. Like, you know, being a black person and, and having them say all this, they ignored me, ignored me. They didn't want to deal with the race stuff. And so when I finally made my first video, I was scared to death and my video was soft. And, hey, guys, I don't want to hurt anybody. I love members of the church. I just want to tell my story. I just want to talk. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now I'm like, no, this is my truth. Suck it up. You've been telling me to suck it up and endure. This is my truth. This is exactly what happened. These are the dates. This who said it. Leave me alone. And now I'm mad because um, I had a boyfriend that was an alcoholic and he had a really bad addiction problem. I never understood addiction until now. It, and it's, it's, it's funny, but it's not. I would rather take $30 $40 and go to Michael's Hobby Lobby at home store or anything to buy some decoration to make me feel good than to buy food for my family because I just feel like shit. I just feel like shit because I don't want to. I love them. I love them so much. All these girlfriends that I love are telling me F off. Because I don't want to be hurt anymore. So to be your friend, you want me to be hurt. I'm okay by myself. And if I have to buy 13 Christmas trees and decorate them to feel good, then that's what I have to do. Because other than that, Jeffrey, I'd rather stand in front of a bus. And I love my kids and my grandson. But I don't want to hurt myself. But I just feel like shit. I don't want to. I don't want them to have that much power to destroy me, but they do. I was there by myself for so many years, loving these people who were slapping me and kicking me like a dog, and I kept coming back. It's okay. I'm your pet. You keep feeding me at least and giving me water. I'm going to come back. You just kick me. You just do me on the road. I don't care. You know, if you if you can give me a smile, that's good enough, and that's what I did. I just, I I'm okay with this. I can't, I, maybe I'm not okay with it, but I'm saying there's nothing more I can do. I can't be a part of that religion. I cannot put myself in more harm and my kids in harm just to think I have no out. The only out is death. The only out is to leave. There's nothing more to do. I have no community either way. 
I've lost my family, I've lost my friends, I've lost all my support, but I am okay. But what about my kids? They didn't ask for this. They didn't say, Mom, join this church. They didn't ask for that. So how do I fix it with them? Just listen, you know, you guys, it's uncomfortable, but imagine how uncomfortable it is for me going through it. You have a lot of empathy for everything else in the church, but black people, it is horrible. It's worse than you could ever imagine. And you don't want to hear it because you're part of it. Just like Joanna Brooks says, you're safe in a place you've created. The place was created for you and your safety, not for mine. And you won't fight for me and that's fine. So that's why I'm here now fighting for people so that they don't join, excuse me, so that they don't come back and get hurt. I don't want people to not have informed consent and know what they might have to go through. Right. You know? Thank you for sharing that. It is so hard to be so vulnerable and... I see you and I honor you in that and I honor you in the place that you're standing because it is very difficult to step into a place of martyrdom, which is really what you've done. And you are choosing to be unhappy and uncomfortable and all of the emotions and the anger and the hurt and the pain not only to save yourself and to save your children, but also to save people you don't even know. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think, I do think that it will get better and brighter because it always gets better and brighter when we honor ourselves. I believe that. And when we're whole, but that doesn't make it any less dark right now. I think you are a beautiful, beautiful human. And I think you have, hmm, hmm. I think you have more kindness inside of you than most people ever manage to get their brains around. Um, I know you've talked to me about, and it's why I brought it up a couple of times of people saying, well, how could you have been so stupid, right? Yeah. Like you did it, you did it. And it really, though, what I'm hearing from your stories is you tell stories of atrocity and horrible treatment, and you still welcome welcome me with open arms. It's not a it's not a weakness. It's kindness and love that's been horribly abused. And I just want you to know that I see you, and that it, it, it's it's not weakness at all. It is it is kindness and love, and I think you'll learn more and more to figure out how to still use it and wield it and not let it harm you. I know you will. I appreciate it. I appreciate you giving me a voice that's been silenced for so many years and threats that if I use my voice, I'm going to pay dearly for it. And to finally be able to say, this did happen. I'm trying to get through it. It's very, very painful, but it did happen. And this is what it looks like. Please don't do this to other people. Please learn better. Please please turn away from that. It's not good. This is what it is. This is actually what racism is. And it's not nice. And it's, yeah. it's horrible. It's really very painful. Yeah. 
Yes. And the fact that racism has is so much, and it's not just Mormonism. It is this country was really founded on. Oh, yeah. Is the belief that God has said that you are less than. Something he created. Yeah. Yes. And how it's, it's those, it's not just, it's not just, it's not just words. Like it's the action. That's what they don't understand every, it's one thing to just say, Hey, you're the N word that, that is not as painful as, okay. It's one thing. Let's say if we were talking and you slipped and you said, Oh, are you N word? That that's like, really Debbie? Okay, that's a different situation. But when someone's getting something out of a card that you don't know and you see that they're black and you yell that you are trying to hurt. When it slips right. out of your mouth, it just needs some education, maybe some training, ignorance, cluelessness. That is different because you're not seeing it at me. It's something that you use that came out. Do you understand the, what the difference is? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. But when somebody, you're walking by and they scream that at you, that's weird and that is unsafe. And what happens is it breeds hate and it breeds violence and it breeds, yeah. oh, it's not good. That's why it's so harmful yeah. is because it starts with words and the words start with thoughts and, and beliefs and then confirmation bias. See, this is how they are. We should hurt them because they're bad and nasty and ugly. And right. because we're so racist, we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to do the work so we can just hurt them because they deserve it. Right. I hope that, well, actually, I'm going to have you tell us for you, like, what, if you could say one thing you want people to take away from our conversation today and from the things that you've shared, what would it be? Believe us. Mm. See, that's so much better than what I would have said. I'm so glad that yeah, I turned it over to you. That's perfect. Believe us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I am honored to have your voice on here. I appreciate it very much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. Was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry her pain no more silent she was silent but she'll carry her pain